0: In the midst of all the chaos that's been happening in our world the last several weeks, there is a location that has come front and center and become the most prominent place to be, and that is our homes. Here in Ohio, we're under a shelter-in-place order, which means that we are supposed to stay in our homes as much as possible. Now, this can be an incredible blessing. If home for you is a place you like to be, a place where you are together with those that you love, a place that brings you joy and peace, a refuge where you find comfort, the opportunity to be at home is quite a blessing. My heart breaks for people who are in a situation right now where home is not a safe refuge for them to be. Maybe it's a place where they're not with those who care for them, Or maybe for some people, they don't have actually a home to go to right now. God always designed for home to be the place where we find safety, comfort, and love. Jesus tells us a story in Luke chapter 15 about a home that was supposed to be a place where the family came together and wanted to be. But the story is famous because there's one of the siblings in the family, the younger brother, who decides that he doesn't want to be in the home anymore. And he leaves that home for a period of time and finds himself at a certain point in his life when he decides, I wanna come back home. I want us to take a look at this story together to understand what was going on in this younger brother's life and in his heart and mind to make him want to come back home and hopes that you and I might be able to glean from him, to learn from him, to understand why we should come home to the Father. The story begins really in verse 11, and we learn in the first couple of verses of this story that Jesus tells why the brother really left. It starts out, he's at home, he's in a relationship with his father and his brother, and we don't get much information about that relationship but we know that he is there at home and then decides that he wants to leave. Boy, it makes us ask the question, why did he want to leave from the beginning? What was in his mind? What was in his heart to make him say, I don't wanna be here anymore? Maybe at some point he didn't like the chores that were given to him. Maybe he was frustrated that he was the younger brother and not the older brother. So we don't really know what went wrong but we can know why he left. He shows up and says to the father, I'd like you to give me my portion of the inheritance. And in those days when Jesus said this, this would have been a complete affront to the father. You see, what the son is asking for is not just a certain amount of money. He's asking really for life without his father. Inheritance was not something that you were given until the father died. And what the younger son is asking for in this moment is I want to experience life with you not in it. I want to see how life will go. I want to go find joy and happiness. I want to live my life as if you were not a part of it. And you see, really, this is the root of all of our sin, to pursue joy without the Father. This is really the greatest lie that Satan has ever told us, and all of us at some point have believed, and that is life with God is restricting and painful and unpleasant. But life without God is freedom and happiness and pleasure. You should choose life without God because there's so many more options and life will be so much greater. And that's simply not true. If you go back to the story in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and then 3, and you look at life with God in the Garden of Eden, look back to the number of trees that God said you're allowed to eat from versus the number of trees that God said you're not allowed to eat from. Now, when Satan shows up and begins to deceive Eve, he tells her life with God is restricting. God has abundance that he's holding out on. You don't want to live with him. And if she would have just done the math and looked at the opportunities in front of her, she would have learned that life with Satan is restricting and life with God is full of abundance. So this young brother left because he thought life without the father would be better than life with the father. Well, the story then tells us where he ended up. If you look in verses 13 through 16, it tells us how his life sort of unraveled after he took his inheritance. He spent all of his money on wasted or reckless living and then a famine showed up. And at the point that the famine showed up, the younger brother had nothing left. And so he sold himself as an employee to a master. Now that master sent him out into the pig pen and said, I want you to feed the pigs. And there he was sitting in the pig pen, feeding animals and looking around saying, I have nothing, not even food that the pigs can eat, do I have. This situation pushed him to the brink and sent him to rock bottom. This is exactly where we end up when we pursue life without the father. This is exactly how Satan works. He promises you a life of mastery and control over yourself, but you end up being a slave to your sin. He promises you ultimate fulfillment and yet leaves you empty and wanting more. He says things like, come on, just give up on those principles, life with God, having integrity, being obedient. That's restricting, it's stopping you from joy. He tells us sacrifice all those relationships, go earn all that money. I promise you'll have everything you've ever wanted. And yet we end up all alone at the end of our life. He tells us to give in and do what all those other quote-unquote friends are doing. And if you'll just do that, you'll have acceptance in that group. And when you have acceptance in that group, then you'll feel like you've got life all together and you compromise and you give in and you start following a different crowd and you realize you're still just as lonely. He says, sleep with that person, even though they're not your spouse. I promise it's everything you've ever wanted. You'll feel pleasure and joy and love and acceptance and you give in. And you realize at the end of it, you just don't feel whole anymore. He says, cheat on those taxes. I promise the extra money will be worth it. And he doesn't tell you about the guilt and the shame. He says, watch that pornography. I promise if you do that, it's going to scratch the itch that you have and you're going to feel so much better. And yet at the end of all of this, he never tells you about the guilt, the shame, the loneliness and the hiding that we want to do. And that's exactly where the younger brother ended up. He thought living a life without the father would bring him ultimate joy and pleasure. And he ended up finding out that life without the father is lonely and enslaving. So the story then tells us how he came home. My favorite part of the story, the younger brother makes it home. But how did he get there? In verses 17 through about 24, Jesus tells us in this story, it starts with this, that the younger brother began to reason. You notice it says that he came to himself. This is an English phrase that we use often when somebody comes to themselves or they come to their senses. It literally just means that he brought the facts of the situation to light, and he began to tell himself the truth. You know, we'll never really make our way back home if we're not willing to tell ourselves the truth of the situation. He finally looked at the facts and said, wait a minute, hired servants at my father's house are living better than I'm living. I don't like the way that I'm living. This isn't enjoyable. I don't want to continue this way. And we can't get home if we don't bring the facts to light and be honest with ourselves." So the younger brother made it home because he began to reason, but he also decided to repent. Now, this guy gets two things right about repentance, which are so key for you to understand. And the first one is this. He took ownership. He took ownership. You notice when he's reasoning with himself, he says, "'I have sinned against heaven and against my Father. I am no longer worthy to be called a son.'" I have done this, no excuse making, no blame shifting, no self justifying. He just looks himself in the mirror and says, I have ended up here because I have made choices in my life that have brought me to this place. Sure, there are variables outside of his control that have happened to him. There are things that have taken place that he didn't decide, but ultimately he is owning his decisions to end up where he is. That's a key aspect of repentance, is confession, owning what we have done. But he doesn't just take ownership, he also takes action. You see that he actually stands up when he's in the pig pen and begins to walk home. This is crucial for us to understand. You see, repentance is not just feeling sorry. Repentance is not just the experience even of guilt for our sin or shame in our sin. Repentance is actually a change in our mind that leads to a change in our behavior. This younger brother got up and started walking home. If we're going to make our way home, we're going to have to actually repent, which means owning our sin and then begin moving back towards the Father. You see, this is where most people get hung up in repentance. We think repentance is about being obsessed over the hatred of our sin. Now that's part of it. But real repentance is not just hatred towards our sin. Real repentance is turning our lives back to the Father. If all you do in your repentance is focus on your sin and think about your sin and are frustrated over the results of where your sin leaves you, all you're thinking about is sin. Real repentance is turning away from sin and moving actually towards the Father. Repentance is the thing that brings us home because we start walking back to the Father. Over and over in the New Testament, we see passages where it tells us to lift our eyes and look at Jesus. Like the Hebrew writer tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus so we can run this race with endurance. This younger brother got repentance right because he took ownership of his sin and he started moving back towards the father. This brother gets two things right about repentance but he gets one thing wrong about repentance. And it's important for us to see this because it's a thing that all of us at times get wrong with repentance. This younger brother decides that he's going to use repentance as a method to repay his father for what he's done. You notice when he's sitting in the pig pen, he reasons with himself and he says, I have sinned against heaven, I've sinned against my father, And I am not worthy to be called a son. But then he says, I'll ask my father if I can be a hired servant. You see, in those days, you could become a tradesman. You could apprentice and learn how to do some work. You would typically live not on the farm. And you would learn skill and you could work for the farmer and make a living. And what this younger brother is saying is I'm no longer going to be a son. I'm going to come back to the farm. I'm going to ask my dad, Can I learn a trade and then work the rest of my life to pay you back for what I've done? The biggest mistake we make in repentance is believing that we have to repay God for every wrong we've done or he won't accept us back. This younger brother was stuck in the mindset that the only hope he had was to come back as a servant and spend the rest of his life trying to pay back his father for all the wrongs that he has done. And you know, this mindset is what makes us really avoid repentance altogether. It's also what makes us grow weary and burn out over and over. Have you ever noticed in your life a cycle where you make big promises to God and you say, listen, I'm going to get this right and I'm going to make you proud and I'm going to do so much better and I promise once I get all this going, you're going to be so proud of me and you give it a good effort and you grow fatigued and you burn out and give up. We do that because we're using our repentance to buy our father's love, and it just won't work. Notice in the story what the father does. He sees the son from afar off, walking home. That means that he woke up every day, probably sat on his front porch, and looked out over the hill waiting for the day that his son would come home. And he ran with joy and excitement and compassion to the son. Now this was strange because Middle Eastern fathers in that day did not run. Children, sure, they ran, but not fathers. And he ran because of his compassion and his love. He hugs him, he kisses him, and then he interrupts him. The son has the room to say, I've sinned against heaven and against you, father. The son has room to say, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but the father stops him and doesn't let him say, I'll just be a hired servant. He calls out to the servants and says, get the robe, get the sandals, grab my signet ring, put it on his hands and kill the fatted calf. We're gonna celebrate because my son who was dead is now alive. The one who was lost, he's found. Do you see what the father was doing? By putting a robe on him and the sandals, he was giving him the clothing of being a son. And when he put the ring on his finger, what he was saying was, you now have full rights and permission to operate as a son of mine. You can do business in my name with this ring. I am bringing you back fully into the fold of this family. And then something happens in the story that you got to look really careful to see. And when you see it, it will blow your mind. The son lets the Father forgive him. He joins him in the home. He wears the robe and the sandals. He puts the ring on. He sings, he dances, he eats of the fatted calf. Do you see what the son is doing? He's doing what is the hardest, most difficult thing for us as humans to do. He is letting himself be loved by God. Yes, that is the most difficult and challenging things for us to do as a person. We know before God we have fallen short and we have sinned. We know that we don't deserve mercy and compassion. And when he extends it to us, it becomes so difficult for us just to let ourselves be loved by him. And so we hold on to our repentance and we make big promises about paying him back. And that's not the relationship that the father has ever wanted with his children. He wants you to let him love you. And when you do, it changes you from the inside out. There's one other character in this story that's important for you to see, and that's the older brother. He's been home this whole time. He has been dutifully serving his father. He's been obedient. He's been doing all the right things. And yet when the celebration begins in the home, he's nowhere to be found. He asks the servants what's going on, and when he finds out that the younger brother is home and the fatted calf has been killed, he is angry, he's bitter, he's frustrated, and he determines that he's not going to go inside the house. He wants nothing to do with that home. And so the father makes his way out to him now. And he comes to him and says, son, where are you? Please come in the house. And the older brother says, that son of yours, he's not my brother, he's wasted our inheritance. He doesn't belong here. And the, and the father says to him gently and kindly, he is my son, he's your brother. And he was dead, now he's alive. He was lost, now he's found. Come celebrate with us. And something revealing is said there by the older brother. He says to the father, in all these years I've served you. You never once gave me just a goat so that I could go celebrate with my friends. Two things are really important for you to see in this. One, he sees all of his obedience as just a way to get things from the father. He says, I've done all these things. Why haven't you given me even what the younger brother has? This is unfair. And then do you notice who he wanted to celebrate with? He says to his father, why didn't you give me A young goat and I could have gone and celebrated with my friends. The whole time the older brother was at home physically. He never was at home relationally or spiritually. He never had a relationship with his father. His father wasn't somebody that he wanted to be with. His father wasn't somebody that he wanted to honor. He was using his obedience as a way to get the things that he wanted. And in that way, He's really not different than the younger brother. The younger brother took his inheritance and went and got what he wanted in another country. The older brother was using his obedience to get what he wanted there in his home country. But both brothers were away from home and the father wanted both of them to come home. You know, in this story, Jesus uses the ugliness of the older brother really to show the Pharisees how they were acting. If you look in verses 1 and 2, it tells us that the tax collectors and the sinners gathered around Jesus. And then the Pharisees showed up and they were annoyed that these tax collectors and sinners were there. And then Jesus tells a parable which has three stories. First, there's a shepherd that leaves the 99 to go find the one. Then there's a woman who lost one out of her 10 coins and she turns the house upside down to find the one. And he's saying it's natural for these two to go looking, to go hunting, to go searching for what is lost. But then he tells the third story, and there's an older brother who's unwilling to go find his younger brother. That's exactly how the Pharisees were acting. And it leaves us in this story wanting for the younger brother and for us, an older brother who's willing to come find us. And that's where Jesus leaves us hanging in the story. Wanting an older brother to be different. And it gives us great hope because we have a true and better older brother, Jesus himself, who didn't go from just one town to another town looking for us. He left heaven and came to earth. Who didn't receive us back home just at the cost of a fatted calf or a robe, but at the cost of his life. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was stripped naked so we could be clothed again to sons. When he hung on the cross, he cried out for the first time in his life, my God, my God, not my Father, my Father. For a moment in time, he lost the experience of being a child so that you and I could have the full acceptance as children of the Father again. Jesus did all of that on the cross to say one thing, I want you to come home. What's keeping you from coming home right now? Is it your pride? Is it your fear? Are you afraid that if you start walking home, you're not sure if the Father will be able or willing to accept you? Over and over through Scripture, God is trying to tell us that His love is greater than anything you could ever imagine and will welcome you back home. The sacrifice of Jesus was great enough to tell you that every sin you've committed can be completely forgiven. The cross is the testimony. To how far God is willing to go to bring you home. It's time you come home. If there is any way that we can help you know how to come home to the Father, have no more fear. It's time to take a step, it's time to get a hold of somebody. Even in this moment right now, during this pandemic, you can get a hold of us and we will help you learn how to finally come home to the love of the father and you can let yourself receive his love find his forgiveness and walk as a child of his